You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 67 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. As always, joining you for these 30 minutes of discussion is me, Gandalf, and as always, Matt and Nathan Van Horn. How are you guys doing today? It's a good day. Still recovering from uh, the pre-recording discussions. <laughs> so it, true. If, Amen. if you're confused, Amen. you're going to find out. Amen. <laughs> Well, before we jump into that, we, we've got some good stuff for you guys today. But before we jump into that, let me remind you again, as always, to give us five stars on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever the choice platform you use. We don't judge you, but we do ask you to give us five stars. Um, we have not yet recovered, gentlemen, from our one star disaster that we had recently. <laughs> uh, if you recall about five, six episodes ago, some soul out there, bless them. Gave us a one-star review and forever tainted our perfect 5.0 average. Ouch. But with your help, listener, we can retain our rightful place as a five-star podcast, a perfect 5.0. <laughs> we, you can be heir to the 5.0 podcast. Uh, there you my go. Hope is, uh, that, my that's hope a, is that, built on nothing else than... Oh, you're segueing. <laughs> yeah, he just segued, yes, man. He totally you. got it. I was yeah, coming up with something clever, and I missed the segue. That's... Oh. So hey, by the way, you mentioned no judgment on other platforms. Last time correct. when you absolutely did give judgment to other platforms, it was yes. only after we recorded uh, that episode that I found out my mother-in-law listens through one of those third-party platforms. <laughs> Awkward. That's Thank a you. little harsh. Yeah. Well, I, I listened to myself in that recording while I was in the car, and I realized how judgmental <laughs> I sounded. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to tone back the rhetoric. Yeah, it's almost as... Not quite as judgmental, but as insecure as we sound when we fret about a one-star review. You know, just just throwing that out there. Matt, don't do this to me. <laughs> hey, he's entitled to their opinion. I, I I do have an illustration that I want to talk about as All we right, get into this text. It. Because we are talking about the heir of Abraham today. And we're going to get into this in chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And what Nathan was alluding to just a moment ago, and what Gandalf has introduced by saying air, is we have tumbled down the rabbit hole. Um, like, we thought Melchizedek was an enigmatic figure. And we, Melchizedek's got nothing <laughs> on Eliezer, and we're going to look at that today. And Yeah, it, at least we see uh, references to Melchizedek later. So some of you may know that uh, who are close to me, if you uh, know me outside this podcast, that one of my pastimes is fishing and not just any kind of fishing, but crappie fishing. And so there's the enjoyment side of it. And there is also the science side of it. I got something last year that has become a huge benefit and gift to my fishing experience and also a newfound source of frustration. Is this your cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater device? Yes. There is this device called LiveScope, and it's made by Garmin. And essentially what LiveScope does is it puts a live sonar image 
on your graph or your fish finder where you can actually see the fish moving in real time and you can even see your lure or your bait of whatever kind dangle right in front of the fish. You can see them. You, you can even set the hook as they bite it. That's how instantaneous the feedback is. However, it is, I, I've seen this in action, guys, and let me tell you, it's more like Hunt for Red October than it is fishing. <laughs> it's so true. When Matt's at the helm. That's but, funny. But it is a newfound frustration. I have this incredible tool now. Because there's not a button to make the fish actually bite or? Exactly. That's it. Oh, What's, you're kidding. No, it, it, is a, <laughs> it is a frustration that I never had before. Used to, when the fish wouldn't bite, I would just tell, them, tell myself, hey, well, they're just not here today. Now, every day I go, I always see fish on all of my fishing holes that I fish, but they don't always bite. And that's hilarious. I, I feel like that's how the Bible is sometimes, that you gain tools and you learn more, and then you come to this place and you tumble down the, the rabbit hole, and then you, you ask yourself, uh, have I even read the Bible, or have I really even understood it? Because there's just so much out there that we're not going to understand despite all the tools that we have. So that's mm. how I feel about Genesis 15 verses one through two specifically. In other words, look at one through four. In other words, sometimes you buy the very, you, you, you buy the very best equipment, uh, utilize the very best tools only to come back to that opening realization that this is written for us, but not initially to us. Absolutely. And that, and it's just that humbling thing that after years of Christian experience and by God's grace, theological education, you're still in this place of, I'm not sure if I know that much because <laughs> there's still, there's such a vast amount. And of course that can lead us to worship as well uh, of just the vastness of who God is and the richness of his word that we're never going to fully, to fully unpack it. But this is definitely one I can honestly say, I've never thought about this issue before the Better Than Fiction Bible podcast, add this to the now the long and growing list of things like, for instance, Genesis 14. Who knew that that was a connection to Kadesh Berea? I mean, I am learning so much, and this is one of those today. So we want to look at Genesis chapter 15, 1 through 6. So, and off, without further ado, why don't you read, a, read us the uh, verses wait, say, there? Say it, say it the way you said it before we start recording. Gandalf, because this is not a genealogy, and I read last week. Your <laughs> that, that, that's right. <laughs> Gandalf, take it away, and then we'll... All right, let, let's, let's break into this enigma, and I will read, Nathan. Thank you very much. Right. Um, <laughs> so this is Genesis 15, 1 through 6, although we're going to be concentrating on 1 through 4. And as always, this is from the English Standard Version. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And, be and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Mm. I love that verse. And uh, we're not going to look at it this week, but I love it. Don't worry, we'll get there. All right. Hey. Nathan, why don't you walk us through, what's the very first thing? We talked about this 
like after these things help us connect the dots yeah so after these things it's it's kind of like you know when you were growing up uh if you grew up in church if you ever went to sunday school uh i know when i was in 7th and 8th grade uh sunday school our teacher said that anytime you you you're reading the bible and you read the word therefore you have to backtrack and to see what it's there for right mm. y'all ever hear that yes sir i have heard that yeah and so after these things suggest that this is somehow linked to things that happened before, i.e. Genesis 14. So hmm. there is some kind of connection going on with this discussion of Abraham's heir in Genesis 15 as the aftermath for um, what's happened in Genesis 14 with the War of the Five Kings. And then also the blessing of Melchizedek and the past blessing. Oh, yeah, that stuff too. Of, of the I do uh, I do listen to Sodom. the podcast. And also <laughs> the return of Lot and his household. Yeah. All that stuff. Right. <laughs> um but so, yeah, so, I, so so we we do see things and you know, right out of the gate, you know, to your point, Matt, we do see things right out of the gate that, you know, capture imagery that was relevant to Genesis fourteen. So he tells them, Do not be afraid. Why? Because I am your shield. Well, when has Abraham most tangibly been protected? When he when he went into battle to recover Lot outnumbered, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. And uh, I love the discussion we had around the concept of your reward uh, will be very great. Because what did Abraham do in the previous chapter? Well, he well, just I mean, turned... he, re- he refused to he refused to take the spoils. Hmm. Um. And but but it sets up this con. You know so. Yes, God has protected him. Yes, uh, God will provide for him. But we still haven't dealt with what God actually promised him, right? Abraham still does not have an unoccupied land to himself, and he still doesn't have the most important part of God's promise. God keeps telling Abraham what he's going to do through his descendants, and Abraham still doesn't have descendant number one. Number one. one. He still has no kids. Um so that's really what sets the context for Genesis 15. It's a discussion of sonship. And it's, and it's neat to me, um, I think this is correct, the last time, interestingly, the last time that God spoke to Abram was right after Lot parted ways in, in Genesis 13. Isn't that, is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. So, so almost like you know Lot, who was consistently introduced as his brother's son, right? Right. Um, And traveling with uh, Abraham's entourage, or Abram, uh, Abram's entourage, it's almost like Lot for a while was a contender or a viable candidate to be Abraham's heir, even though he's not Abraham's son. And it's like almost like when Lot parted ways, uh, God reaffirms the promise precisely when Abram is without a candidate. And so here's And by the way, we're not not alone in that. Most of the commentaries... That yes, that's I've that's very at, they, common among right that Lot was seen as a potential heir. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess I guess I have a question there, where like why why isn't Lot can like why like why is Abraham concerned about this Eleazar of Damascus character when he's got Lot with him? Wouldn't Lot make right. sense to be the why, logical heir? Why does verse two not read? But Abraham. Abram said, "O oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the nephew, my nephew Lot, is my heir. Why? Why does it not yeah, say well, that? Yeah, who, who even is this guy? Like, right? Who, who is even Eliezer of Damascus? Because it's not Abraham. Or I have Abram's a really son, good answer. Right? I have a really good answer for that. Oh, uh, tell me. <laughs> we don't know. 
Uh, <laughs> but it's not going to stop us from at least exploring what people have said. And I think it's a fun and interesting place to start is what the Septuagint, remember, that's the oldest translation we have. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. What the Septuagint does here, it's just kind of weird. Nathan, why don't you walk us through that? Yeah, so the Septuagint translation of Genesis 15, it, it all comes down to how how do you understand, um, again, imagine you're seeing all of this as letters on a page without spacing and punctuation, because that's how biblical manuscripts were copied, right? right. It was called continuous script. No so capital imagine, letters, no commas. That's it. This <laughs> no is, spaces. Um, this is like man, a really... I, need, co- man, I need to learn that. That sounds like how I write English. <laughs> this is a really complex version of Wordle. Um, uh, <laughs> that was funny in my head. Thank y'all. Uh, one, one of y'all liked the, like the half laugh. I'll take that. My wife loves um, the game. Um, but uh, yeah, so imagine you see a construction of letters that could be rendered multiple ways. Like one of the most famous examples is... T-H-E-K-I-N-G-I-S-N-O-W-H-E-R-E. Do you render that the king is now here or the king is nowhere? Same letters, same sequence, very different meanings, right? Hmm. And so some came across this language uh, in Genesis 15-2, I am going away childless, and then there's disagreement over how the the rest uh, should be translated. Should... uh, Eliezer of Damascus or Damascus Eleazar, is this a title? Is this a name? Is this a reference to a cupbearer or steward in Abraham's household? The LXX actually uh, renders it as the son of Masek, my female uh, uh, servant or female slave, uh, someone in Abraham's camp. Um, yeah, he so is Damascus Eleazar. Instead of, instead of Damascus, it takes Damascus as son of Masek, right? Yeah. Isn't that right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it basically names Masek as the female slave, and Abram is acknowledging that, hey, this son of this slave of mine is is going to be my heir. Uh, let me bring in Derek. And, and again, here. again, remember the link to chapter 14. Um, Why not lie? And in addition to those kings, well, in addition to those kings who wrote out uh, with their, you know, their stewards, uh, with Abraham in battle, he also brought all the servants born in his household. Right. Right. And and so presumably, um, presumably Eliezer is among them. In fact, it's, it's really, we had this one weird tradition we talked about where they, they try to make it look like Eliezer's the only one who rode out with him because <laughs> they take the 300 and men of Genesis 14 and say, hey, uh, the symbolic value of uh, Eliezer's name is 318. So it, was, it wasn't referring to 318 guys. It was referring to this one guy. Right. Man, Eliezer's a Chad. <laughs> He's like, go, <laughs> it's so five kings by himself. And, and by the way, uh, in defense... Call defen- out number 318. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> in defense of them, Gematria is used in the Bible from time to time. So, but... but yeah, but, but it's, it's... Boy, it's... Ooh, that's a stretch for it to be used here. Um, but right, hey, before we but before we get super far, I've got questions about that interpretation that Nathan just put up put forth. All right, well, I've shoot. done all the I've done all the homework, and I still have questions. <laughs> well, because okay, so if we're saying Damascus might actually be depending on how you interpret it, Damascus is actually saying okay, Eleazar is the son of a female servant named Masek. Name Mas, name Masek. 
why does Abraham claim, or Abram claim to be childless when he will essentially do the exact same thing later on and have a, a son through a female servant who will be oh, through? Okay, yeah. So l- let me uh, bring oh, yeah. our so audience. You, sir, like is, is Eli- are you asking like is Eleazar uh, Ishmael 1.0? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like why, is, why does he feel the need for Ishmael when he essentially has that right now under this interpretation? And now, scandalous topics, guy. Take it <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let me take a couple stabs at this. So to bring our audience up to speed, Ishmael is a character that, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know Ishmael. It is the son that Abraham is going to conceive through Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. Now we cannot conceive this in our Western minds, but there is. In ancient times, ancient Eastern tradition, that if a woman was childless, she could bear a child through her slave or her servant and claim her or claim the child as her own. And this is what Sarah tries to do. Even though the tradition was there, it it still creates problems. Because if you're thinking, man, that's like a really bad idea, I'm sure that that'd be dramatic. It was very dramatic. And even though the tradition was there, they still had arguments, she and Hagar, over, hey, whose son is this really? And so it caused a lot of problems. However, what Gandalf is referring to is Genesis 25. So Abraham, after the death of Sarah, we're told that he has another wife, Keturah. And so he he has six sons from her, one of which is going to play a significant role in Exodus, or at least his descendants. That son is named Midian. And we're going to run into a guy who flees to Midian. His name is Moses. So that's important. But it's interesting there that Abraham blesses Isaac and gives him all of his his resources, but he does bless his other sons as well. He gives them gifts, but he leaves his inheritance to Isaac. But it's interesting that all of the sons of his concubines, that apparently there were other sons, the sons of his concubines were considered her sons. In fact, Nathan, do you have that? In Genesis, uh, Genesis 25? Yeah, 25, where it... It, it talks about that where there's a demarcation between the sons of the concubines and the sons of Abraham. Like Ishmael and Isaac. Oh, are, yes, 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 yes. And Keturah's sons um, are all called, you know. Abra- Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. By the way, there's a double whammy here, but I'll, we'll, we'll see that in a second. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, in other words, never called Abraham's sons, to the sons mm-hmm. of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts and while he was still living, he sent them away. Guess which direction? From his son Isaac, uh, eastward yeah. to the east country. You have the double eastward to the east country. Uh, I love that. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah. So in in Genesis twenty five, Abr- uh, Isaac it, but, is called a son of Abram. Ishmael is called a son of Abram. The yeah, sons verse, of Ka- yeah, the sons of Keturah are called. Yeah, the sons of Keturah are regarded as sons of Abram, but no one else. No one else. So the question is, is Eliezer, he is seen as an heir and an heir is a son. How is it that Eliezer is the heir and not Lot? What about Eliezer's position in the household would make him qualify for the inheritance that Lot would not receive, even though he was Abram's nephew? Also, why this one, Eliezer, this servant and not the other. So I want to bring in Derek Kidner here. 
uh, in his commentary. He says, the Hebrew of verse 2 is obscure, going back to verse 2 of chapter 15, the one we're talking about, the whole Damascus or son of a saint. It makes me feel better when a world-class scholar says that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. All right. But 3 explains the point of it. It is well known that among the Hurrians that a childless man might adopt an heir to ensure his proper burial or a borrower secure a loan by adopting a lender. It could be that Abram, and it actually makes sense that Abram adopted Eliezer as a son, but verse three makes it clear that he was not of Abram's own loins. So while verse two makes it sound like that if you take the Septuagint rendering that Eliezer is the son of Masek, verse three makes it clear she's his son, but he has no biological connection to Abraham because it says um, in verse number four, God says to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son, which, or literally out of your own loins, one from out of your own loins will be your heir. So there, you know, there is, you know, uh, the, there is no biological connection between Eliezer and there, and Abram, but it, he is presented here as an adopted son and, or it could be that not he's explicitly, yeah. not explicitly. And, and it, it's weird because we don't have, again, we have references like you know, some see in uh, when Abram sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac, mm -hmm. you have an unnamed servant who is the head of Abram's household. Who it's is assumed to, to be Eliezer. Most people assume it's Eliezer, but it's never mentioned. So, right. Some people see, uh, you know, rather than an adopted son, they see, um, again, head of household. So some people see uh, like an ancient interpreter, Aquila, um, who had a major... Uh, uh, translation of, of the Old Testament, um, saw uh, mashka, uh, instead of Damascus, mashka in Hebrew is drink. And so very commonly he was understood as Abraham's cupbearer. Man, what's weird to me is that like, we don't know much about Eleazar, but apparently Abram doesn't think too highly of him. Because he's like, man, the heir to my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Like, man, he's the worst. Oh, He's I awful. And that no, may and be reading too Ab much. I, I yeah, don't know. Abram's, Abram's point is not that he's the worst. Abram's point is that in so many senses, God has done more than he promised. He's been Abraham's right. shield. He's, oh. he's, he's, been uh, he's, he's promising Abraham a reward, and yet Abraham still does not have the most foundational, fundamental thing that God promised him, a child of his own. That's right, because God said, I'm going to make words, you what, a great nation. In other words, what does nation. it matter if you, what if it matters if you protect me? What does it matter if you bless me if there's no one from, from my seed to carry on that blessing? Mm. Mm. And, and we know this is what he's talking about because God's response when we looked in verses five and six is to say, look at the stars. It's going to happen. He, he's addressing this, this, and this honestly felt need of Abraham of if I'm going to receive this, I mean, this is, like it has to be this way. Yeah, and it needs to be said. It may not need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. We we are very bad, uh, or we do this often, where we read the entirety of the Bible in our time, and then we superimpose an awareness of all the Bible on characters in their time. Mm -hmm. In other words, 
Abram doesn't have the virgin birth of Jesus to draw on. He doesn't have Hannah's prayer from 1 Samuel 1 to draw on. In his world, when when a, when someone was beyond childbearing years, when their wife is barren, that's it, not an option. It's so, over. A, Abram, There's no Abram, precedent. That's it. Abram's got the promise of God, but his wife, Sarai, is introduced to us as a barren woman. The best he has at this point uh, is Damascus, right? Lots, uh, apparently not a, a legitimate... Uh, option at this point. Uh, but Abraham hears the promise of God reiterated, and yet he doesn't see a path for that promise being fulfilled. And yet, and yet he believes them. And yet he believes them. Uh, and, and we'll talk more on that in weeks to come. I, I just think that's pretty cool in light of what you're just talking about, because you're right. He has. He, we're all spoiled, right? We've all read the ending. We all know. It reminds, what I, it reminds me, uh, did y'all ever watch the show MASH? It's been yeah. a while, yeah. Yeah, so there, uh, there's a, like kind of a self-righteous Pharisaic character in the show um, who is also kind of a hypocrite, uh, Frank Burns and uh, uh, Hawkeye and uh, I, I think it was Trapper John McIntyre, I think it was one of the early seasons, are messing with him and they take his Bible and Frank's trying to get it back and Trapper says, I peeked at the end, Frank, the devil did it. <laughs> like <laughs> we, we, we have all the spoiler alerts of Scripture, but Abraham did not. Abram had the promises of God and against the evidence chose to believe them. And so we'll so, we unpack that more in weeks to come. Yeah. And I think because often when we present the story of Hagar and Abraham and Sarah, it's presented as a lack of faith, but, mm -hmm. but it's more it, of a path of faith. It, yeah. It's more of like, well, Hey, I can have, a child through Hagar, through Sarah. Like, it, and it's interesting. That's it, yeah. Because that was it, an option. That was an option. And it's interesting that God never condemns that action that took place. And not only does he not condemn it he in the ensuing Ishmael. drama, he, he, yeah, he takes care of Hagar and Ishmael. Right. Um, like, we, we talked about the spoiler alert for coming weeks, but long before Abram calls God Jehovah Jireh, or more literally in Hebrew, Hebrew Yahweh Yirah, the Lord will provide, literally the Lord will see to it. The first person to use language like that is not Abram, it's Hagar, the mm, well of the right. living one who sees me, right? right. Um, and so, I, I, in other words, what's interesting is as this story continues to unfold, um, very biblically, you see a God who's not as good as you think he is when he makes you a promise. You find a God who ends up being better than that. And you know what? It's, it's just a beautiful thought. If indeed Eliezer is the servant who goes and looks for the wife of Isaac in Genesis chapter 24, because in Genesis 24, we assume it's Eliezer. He's just called the servant. But if Eliezer, you know, there has to be something in Eliezer's mind, like, mm -hmm. you know, if he's only human, it's kind of like, wow, I've, I, I have like hit the lottery here. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be Abraham's heir because in he has adopted me, whether he calls me a son or I'm just an adopted heir or, or whatever. Um, but I think here's what's beautiful is that all of the inheritance of the father becomes the inheritance of the son of promise. And even if he is an adopted heir, he is, he is still safe and blessed within Abraham's family because the son of promise gets the inheritance. And 
you know, it may be a faint point, but looking forward to the New Testament, adoption is going to play a big role, is that we have no direct claim on inheritance. The only way any of us get in is if we're adoption, we're we're adopted and we're not going to be we're not going to become in and become the one and only unique son of God. Uh, But we are called his brothers and we are are given a share of the inheritance. We are co-heirs. All right. So So. can I uh, since you gave us that elevated, you know, lovely pastoral thought. Can I (laughs) I can't get I can't get the Genesis 25 thing out of my head where he sends his other, you know, the sons of his concubines away to the east. Mm. Um, because it, it makes me think of something we I don't know that we discussed within this recording, and that's the tradition that some latch on that say that Eleazar was acquired by Abram from Nimrod. Oh, that's right. We didn't talk about that. We looked at it in the pre-recording conversation, but didn't. Yeah, and 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 so again, I do think it's interesting that you have stuff here is being tied back to the Babel story. We saw it in Genesis fourteen in several ways, but here here's what's so interesting is the whole East-West movement thing that we've talked about so many times. Again, remember how the Babel story starts. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary as people migrated from the East. Mm. And so Abram is going to ultimately send back the sons of his concubines to that place. To and if Eliezer, and if, if Eliezer is in that mix... Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think it gets us back into the message of election because we can think, well, gosh, well, I mean, God's playing favorites here. Well, he is, but his purpose for playing favorites is that he might bless the whole world. Mm. Because God has chosen Abraham and Isaac, all of the sons of Abraham, and not just all the sons of Abraham, all the sons of Noah, all the sons of Adam are going to be blessed. And yeah, that's, uh, I keep coming back. We've discussed this many times uh, on, uh, probably on the podcast, but certainly off the podcast. It's interesting because usually when you see election language, it is signaling that God is broadening, not narrowing the scope of his redemption. So good. So good. (laughs) We are out of time, but this, this is, uh, it's time to crawl out of the rabbit hole. And if you feel confused by this episode, so will we. (laughs) That's right. Indeed. (laughs) Always more, not less. That's right. And listener, if you want to inherit all future podcasts, then you there can it join is. The, adopted, <laughs> the adopted family of the show by liking and subscribing, five-star written review, comment on our website at the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. Leave us a comment, betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Or share us on Facebook. We had a little bit of that this week, so thank you. Yeah, Yes, shout out to the brother who, who gave us a, a glowing recommendation on Facebook. We're, we're available on that and all other platforms. And we'll see you every Tuesday morning. Until then, you have a good one. See you next time. You guessed it. Shalom. Or you could even call this uh, uh, tumbling down the rabbit hole.